Father, this morning we just ask that, God, you just touch our hearts with your presence and you would just show us a glimpse of your goodness and your love towards us. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I realize how, how much God loves me and has an incredible plan for my life. But this week, I've, I've really just been, been struck again with the realization of just how much God values individuals and how he wants all of us to be made whole. Uh, I've noticed that when I read through the Gospels, most of the time, Jesus is ministering personally to individuals. Sure, he, he teaches the multitudes, and you see this in great passages. The Sermon on the Mount is one of those where there are thousands of people gathered to listen to what Jesus has to say. Uh, but most often, he's, he's found healing and delivering and ministering and making whole individuals. And, and he goes out of his way to do this. Think of the woman at the well, where he goes out of his way to have a conversation with this person who, as a Jew, he shouldn't really be having a conversation with. There is Zacchaeus, the crooked tax collector, where he drops everything that he's been doing, and he goes to Zacchaeus's house, and he just wants to bring this crook, basically, into the kingdom of God. As you read through, you see the situation of the centurion's servant. You see the situation of Jairus's daughter. All these ones where Jesus is seemingly interrupted by situations or circumstances, but he just takes the time to go and minister to these individuals and just show them how much he values them and prioritizes setting people free. But I think the most outstanding journey that I read for Jesus and his disciples is a time that he travels across the Sea of Galilee to the eastern shore to minister to one man that we know as the demoniac of Gerasenes. There is no apparent other reason for Jesus' journey apart from connecting with this one guy. And when Jesus sets him free, Jesus leaves and goes back exactly the way that he came. Uh, this journey is so important that we see it recorded in all three synoptic gospels in Mark chapter eight, sorry, in Matthew eight, Mark five, and, and Luke chapter eight. And we're going to read the account by Dr. Luke in Luke 8, starting at verse 26. And it says this. They sailed on to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, 
He was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. Wow, what a, what a life. Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demon begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. And when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And then all the people in the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into his boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Wow, what an amazing account. Uh, we, we don't know how the man got into this condition. Uh, but we do know that he was totally without help and seemingly without hope before Jesus set him free. Uh, we don't hear anything further about him apart from the fact that he was completely in his right mind and he went away telling everybody in the town exactly what Jesus had done for him. And this is just an incredibly significant passage, not just because it highlights how much Jesus cares for each and every one of us, uh, no matter what we have done and how uh, we've been living, but because this man was tormented by a thousand demons, nobody could help him. He was an outcast. The best people could do was chain this guy up. But Jesus set him free and made him whole. Generation Z. The, this current generation is the most tormented generation that has ever lived. <clears throat> More of them are committing suicide than ever before. More are stressed than ever before. They're taking more pills than ever before. They feel hopeless and helpless and without a future more than ever before. And the world doesn't have the answers. And if we are not careful, 
we can write them off as being hopeless causes also. More kids are growing up in broken families looked after by parents who don't have a clue how to bring them up than ever before. We have three-year-olds whose parents want them to transition from the appearance of a boy to a girl. What a mess. What torment. What, what deception. People need to know that there's an answer. People need to know that they don't have to live the way they're living. People need to know about Jesus more than ever before. And we are the ones that Jesus commands to tell them. You think it's bad enough that our IRA conspirators uh, talk to us about prayer and, and threaten us. <laughs> but Jesus is the one who tells us to go and make disciples. He's the one who says that we had to shed abroad our love, which is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are the ones that should be showing Jesus' love and acceptance and forgiveness, but often we're just scared. We're fearful when instead of focusing on the multitudes, we just need to look at the ones that Jesus brings across our paths. If we would love and talk to the ones in our sphere of influence, the multitudes would be taken care of themselves. You know, we've been praying for ages and ages and ages for revival for our city. We've been praying that God would move by the power of his Holy Spirit and touch people's lives and begin to bring healing and hope and a new way of living to our city. But the reality is revival starts with the ones and the twos, not just the thousands. God can take our small offering of our time and our talents and our resources and use them to reach the multitudes. The, the ones that we look after can become multitudes when God works miraculously on them. I, I love the story of Sunday school teacher Edward Kimball. That's not Richard Kimball. That's Edward Kimball, who so loved the kids in his class that he would visit them during the week to tell them more about Jesus. Have a look at this. The impact of one man. This very interesting story about a man called Kimball. Apparently he was a Sunday school teacher who just wanted to serve God. He would show up to church every Sunday and serve faithfully in teaching the little children about Jesus Christ. He was a Sunday school teacher who had a great passion who wanted to do more than just doing it on Sundays. So during the weekdays, he would actually follow through with all the children who came to his class on Sunday to make sure that they understood who Jesus was. 
and I helped them understand a better relationship with him. And there was one kid in his class who came from a very rough background and couldn't understand who God was. So Kimball would take the extra step in going and visiting this kid in his place of work. And they, back in those days, it was, you know, the kids were working as laborers. They would visit him at a shoe store where he worked and would tell them about Jesus and would kept persuading him about what an amazing plan that Jesus had for his life. And finally, in the back of the store, this little young kid you know, accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And his name was D.L. Moody, an amazing man of God. And because someone called Richard Kimball decided he was going to pursue him. But here's the interesting thing. The story doesn't end there. The story actually begins there. Because D.L. Moody received this incredible salvation experience. and says, I got to do something about it. Quits his job and begins preaching the gospel. And God uses D.L. Moody to go throughout the whole world. And when D.L. Moody was traveling in the United States, there was a man called Wilbur Chaplin who hears the message of D.L. Moody in one of the evangelistic crusades and responds to the message says, I gotta, I gotta do something for Jesus. And Wilbur Chapman then begins to preach the gospel himself. And while Wilbur Chapman is preaching the gospel, a baseball player who was well known in America listens to the message of Wilbur Chapman. At the end of his crusade, he comes up and gives up his life to Jesus. And his name was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday, right after he receives Jesus, quits his career at baseball and says, I'm going to devote the rest of my life in serving Jesus Christ. So he begins to do crusades just like Wilbur Chapman does. And as Billy Sunday begins preaching the gospel, a man called Mordecai Ham, who is a very astute gentleman, who is very refined, who is seated in his crusade, hears the message of Jesus Christ, stands up and gives his life for Jesus Christ. And this guy, Mordecai goes to a little town called Charlotte in North Carolina, and he's preaching the gospel in a tent crusade meeting. And there's a bunch of kids who are standing outside, and they were saying, we got to go in there, and we're going to cause trouble tonight in that meeting. And in that bunch of friends, there was one kid who didn't want to cause trouble, but he just wanted to see what would happen when they caused trouble. So he walked into that tent meeting to come and see what would happen when his friends would cause trouble. But as he sat there in that tent meeting, hearing Mordecai Ham preach the gospel, something within him resonated. And he said, I got to respond to this. So he went the next night, and then next night when he heard the gospel, he went up to the altar and gave his life to Jesus Christ. His name was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, hold on, I'm not done yet. Billy Graham, till date, it has been estimated that through the ministry of Billy Graham, 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ through the ministry of Billy Graham. It all began in a chain of series with a man called Kimball, a Sunday school teacher. Of all people who said, I'm going to be devoted with the gifting that God has placed in my life, I'm going to do it every Sunday sincerely. I'm going to go out of my way and I'm going to tell these kids about Jesus. And what he started ended up reaching 2.2 billion people and more because we're not taking into account all the other people who got saved through all the other evangelists who were saved in the process as well. Never underestimate what God can do through a simple act of service that you do for His kingdom. You need to recognize that what God has given, whether you think it's significant or not, in God's eyes is absolutely significant. One act of love 
impacted nations and presidents. You just don't know what God can do through you when you have your eyes on the ones and twos that God brings across your path. Tony Campolo, when he was here, told a story which he repeated in one of his books about a young guy called Teddy Stoddard, who by his own admission was an unattractive, unmotivated, difficult boy who was just totally hard to love. And as I was reading about this and as I was recalling this, I was thinking, man, our schools are filled with kids like Teddy. His primary school teacher, Miss Thompson, certainly found it that way. She didn't like him and even said that she enjoyed writing F across his papers. And he was a hopeless case, so they said. His history reinforces this because in, in uh, J1, his report card said, Teddy shows promise but has a difficult home situation. In his second year, it said, Teddy could do better. His mother is ill and he receives no help at home. In Standard 1, what's, um, what year is Standard 1? Three. Okay, year three. Um, this report said, Teddy is a good boy, but is too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. In year four, his report said, Teddy is very slow. His father shows no interest in him. He's falling further and further behind other pupils. That year at Christmas, all the children bought Miss Thompson presents with pretty wrapping, and they all gathered round to see her open them, and she was really, really surprised to get a gift from Teddy. It was crudely wrapped in brown paper, loosely held together with tape, and when she opened it, out fell a gaudy bracelet with half the stones missing and a half a bottle of really cheap perfume. Uh, the children all laughed, but Miss Thompson had enough sense to put the bracelet on and put a little bit of the perfume on her wrist. That day after school, Teddy stayed behind and he went up to Miss Thompson's desk and he slowly said to her, he said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And her bracelet looks really pretty on you. I'm glad you like my presence. Well, <clears throat> after Teddy left, Miss Thompson just cried. And <clears throat> she decided right at that time that she would try and love Teddy just as Jesus Christ had loved her. The result <clears throat> was actually really dramatic because it was love that Teddy really needed more than anything else. By the end of the next year, Teddy had shown considerable improvement and was beginning to catch up in his studies. After he left primary school, she didn't hear from Teddy for many years. And then one day she received a note which read, Dear Miss Thompson, I want you to know that I will be graduating second in my class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, she received another note. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me that I'll be graduating first in my class and I wanted you to be the first to know that university work has been really hard, but I liked it, love, Teddy Stollard. Finally, she received another note. Dear Miss Thompson, 
As of today, I am Theodore Stollard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know I'm getting married next month and I'd like you to come and sit where my mother would have sat if she were alive. <coughs> you are the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Love, Teddy. Miss Thompson went to the wedding and <coughs> sat at the front table because she gave Teddy a gift that no one else had. She loved him. <coughs> one teacher changed one boy who became a doctor and ministered to heaps of people. See, we can all love and we can all invite people to life group or church or, or dinner, but there will always be opposition when we go out of our way to represent Jesus. If we were to read the passages before that passage we read about the demoniac, you'd hear Jesus saying, let's go over to the other side. And in the Gospels it says, and as they went, a storm arose. And it was interesting that a huge demonic storm hit that boat. By chance? No, not at all. Satan hates seeing people set free. He hates seeing people made whole. And Satan loves to instill fear in people's hearts. But Jesus simply spoke to the storm and said, Peace, be still. And you and I, when we go out of our way to represent Jesus to a hurting community, invariably you will find that the, there will be fear will arise, that there will be situations that will come up that, to try and stop you from, from doing this. But God just wants us to go and love. I was, when I was preparing this message, it was quite amazing. When I was preparing this message, I had a, a text from someone who wanted to wanted me to come and, um, and pray uh, with a friend. And I, I had these meetings already set up, and I had an incredibly busy day, and I just couldn't fit it in. And then I heard the Holy Spirit reminding me of the words that I just read <laughs> to give to you this morning, encouraging me to just drop everything and go and show some love to just one person. Because if we can do that, he'll take care of the rest. Jesus said to the demoniac when he was set free, go home and tell people how much God has done for you. And that's exactly what we need to be doing. So I'm just going to ask um, Dave Boyd to come up and just share a few examples of um, people that he's shared with over the years. Uh, Dave's been in our church longer than I have. So why don't you welcome him as he comes and just share a few, about seven minutes. That's because I'm older than you, John. <laughs> um, okay. I had some notes, but I really, um, you've thrown me right off now. Um, okay. Um, 
Reading that story of the demoniac was quite interesting because he wanted to go with Jesus and Jesus said, no, I don't, no, you're not coming with me. You go back where you came from and tell people what God has done for you. And that's the, that's the first ministry that we have is to go to um, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and then we can go to the outer parts of the earth. But uh, I found that um, God is more than willing to be there before we even start. I had a, um, a situation one time where I was walking back. I used to live at Partey, and I was walking back from a surf, and there was a couple standing on the bridge looking at the, at the tide. And um, I got stopped and thought I should talk to these people, surfers. I'm a surfer. We could talk. And uh, the long and the short of it, it was a guy called John Addison and his wife. And um, we um, talked a little bit, and I said, come over to my place and, and have dinner. And they came and had dinner, and that night they both um, uh, gave their lives to the Lord. And John came from a very heavy, hard background. He would take two tabs of acid, go downtown and pick fights with people. This guy was right off the wall. But God had, had given me an opportunity to talk to him only because I stopped. I took the time and the effort to stop and talk to him. Well, about... I'll just get on... I'll only talk about this, this instant. About... Um, uh, three years ago, I was going through a very hard time and I was sitting um, at home feeling, I'd, get, I'd never get depressed, but I was down and feeling like, oh, gee, God, I've blown it and I'm a washout and all that sort of stuff. And then the phone rang. Now, I hadn't heard from John Edison for 35 years, uh, but I knew he was an evangelist. And uh, he rang me and, he, and we were just talking away and, and renewing our friendship and... Um, he said, uh, his voice started to crack up, and he said, I just want to tell you, Dave, why I rang. He says, you have no idea of the impact you stopping and talking to Barbara and I on the bridge that night had. He said, I have witnessed to thousands of people. He was working uh, as a window cleaner in a university. He was a hairdresser in the university. He, would, he was fearless about preaching the gospel. He would uh, preach it to anyone. And... Um, and I said to him, you have no idea of the timing of this phone call, etc., uh, etc. Et um, and always, always look for opportunities to talk to people. There was always an opening. There's always something people will say that will give you an opening. If not, create one. Jesus said to a woman, give me a drink of water. She gets saved. A whole town gets saved. Uh, he delivers a man of demons. The man goes back to the town. And who knows what happened? Um, but he sure had a story, and you've all got a story, and you've just got to step out and share that story, because if you don't, who's going to do it? God has committed himself to us. He can't do it. He's committed us the job. And the great commission that we read about in Matthew 28 is not a good suggestion. It's a command, and um, you don't have to cross the sea to be a missionary. You've just got to see the cross and look at the person next door to you. I was thinking about some of the things we've done in the past to build community in our church. And some of you older ones will remember the time when we had um, Crossroads Goes to Lunch. And uh, we might do that again, actually, where we just basically had half the church uh, volunteer to host people for lunch and the other half went. And we had a great time. And, uh, and I think we'll do that again this year. But I was thinking, hey, even better than that, 
why don't we just invite a neighbour? Why don't we just invite someone, a workmate, round for coffee or out for coffee or to lunch and just start to build relationships because who knows, like with John Addison, who knows where those relationships will take it. Uh, We can tell people that God loves them, but it's far better if we just show it. Uh, We can tell people that he can set them free from their torment because he does, that nothing is impossible to God, that no one is too far away from God, but they are just one prayer away from getting their life back on track. I mean, imagine if you were confronted by that demoniac. I mean, this is an extreme case, but everything about him, everything about him wants you, causes you to run away inside. He was naked, he was chained, he was breaking through the chains, he was cutting himself, he was doing everything that was antisocial this guy was doing. But he needed Jesus to set him free. And I guarantee that if we started praying, God, show me people that I can just love for you, I guarantee that he would. And love always is the first step to setting people free. Because when you love, you listen to their story. And when you listen to their story, you'll hear their hurts. And when you hear their hurts, you can empathize with them. And when you empathize with them, the Holy Spirit can move through you and can touch and heal and set free.